You are now listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Ka. John, I had a busy week, but how are you? What are you up to? I'm doing good. I uh, I had my final draft, fantasy baseball draft on Saturday, and um, it's a doozy because this is my home league. So it's an auction draft, um, pretty vanilla settings and everything. But I decided to go a little crazy. Uh, I spent like about half my budget on Juan Soto and wow. uh, and uh, Shohei Otani. And this is ESPN, so Shohei Otani is both a pitcher and a hitter. So I thought cool. it was completely okay. worth it. Uh, but then I kind of just neglected pitching, and I ended up spending a dollar on every one of my other pitchers. Um, oh wow! What pitchers did you end up with? So it's actually not too bad. I I'm not annoyed by it. But I got I got Luis Severino. Okay, um, for a buck. For a buck, yeah. That's nice. Uh, ha- That's good. Hazel Suzardo, wow. Patrick Sandoval, uh, Matt Brash, Reed Detmers, uh, um, John Means, who unfortunately got put on the 60 day IL as soon as I picked him up. Oh, so that sucked. Um, Alex Cobb. I think I picked up Zach Eflin, but I dropped him immediately because he was not good. Yep. Um, and then Chad Green, Paul Seawald, um, for some for some fun relief pitchers. But overall, like for only spending a buck on my pitchers, I feel pretty good about where my team's at. Um, it's nice to have Soto and Shohei, obviously, on your offense. But yeah, yeah. and also you have Otani as a pitcher technically if you wanted to use him for that. Yeah, technically, too, so. yeah. I I think I actually have him starting because my pitchers aren't they haven't been doing great this week, let's just say that. Right, right. But, I mean uh, I, I think that's not a bad strategy. First of all, I actually really like your pitching staff. Obviously, Cobb got hurt, which we're gonna go over. Yep. And Means got hurt as well, but you know, we're not going over that. But I like your pitching staff for a buck on Sandoval, Cobb, Severino. I think you did good. I think that's yeah, pretty good. I, I really like my pitching. And I, I'll I'll say like full like I'm shilling out for pitcher lists. Like I the only reason why I was even confident in that strategy was because I was on PL plus and I like know about all these pitchers and kind of how good they are. So Which is um, an incentive for all of you to go and get PL plus for sure. It's going to help you. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, how was your week? Oh, my week has been jam-packed. First of all, obviously, my voice doesn't sound any better. I'm sorry, everybody. I sound like a lawnmower. I sound like a Taco Bell drive-thru. I'm I'm very, very sorry. But I scheduled an appointment to have it removed, so that'll get done soon. I'm hoping in about a week or two, the surgery will be done, and I'll be fully voiced, and you guys can actually hear this podcast and not cringe a little bit. So I'm excited for that. But besides that, I actually went to the doubleheader on Tuesday. For the Mets and Giants. So I was ecstatic. I was at the ballpark for eight hours. <laughs> I got there at 2.30. Yeah. Left at 10.30. But the Mets won both games. Two awesome pitching performances. Tyler McGill versus Alex Cobb, which unfortunately Cobb got hurt. And then Max Scherzer versus Logan Webb. I mean, I really couldn't have picked two better pitching performances to go and watch Yeah. for a doubleheader. And we won both games. And I'm actually 3-0 and on the season for games that I've went to physically. So I went to the Mets home opener, which we won, beat the Diamondbacks, and I went to this doubleheader. So I'm feeling pretty good as a Mets fan. I think they got to reach out and start paying me to go to the games because we are 3-0 and in the games I've been to. So it was an awesome, awesome day. I'm glad I didn't get sick. It was freezing, freezing mm. in the yeah. Mets game. The wind wasn't too bad, but it wasn't sunny and 
it felt like an October game, which hopefully is foreshadowing for the Mets to be in the postseason. Yeah, you hope. I, I think the real question, though, is so how many hot dogs did you eat during the doubleheader? So I have to, every time I go to a ball game, I don't know about you guys, all the listeners, I have to have at least one hot dog every game I go to. Now, yeah. I didn't count each game of the doubleheader. I just had to have one hot dog if I'm in the ballpark. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't have two hot dogs. But I had a filet mignon sandwich. It's Dang. a steak sandwich okay. that the, the Mets provide there, which is really good. Pat Lafrida's, very, very delicious. I had that, and I had a hot dog, of course. So that's the food that I had when I was there. But that's my rule. When I go to a ball game, I have to get a hot dog. Yeah, it's, I think it's a good rule. Yeah, I enjoy it. I've, I've enjoyed it every time I went to a ball game. So, But with that being said, catching up on what we did this week, how about you catch up, everyone, on the injury notes and roster moves for this week? Yeah, it's kind of the sad reality of fantasy baseball now that we're in the season that injuries are happening it's pretty much worst. every single day. I'm losing people left and right, and I'm like, oh, God, I forgot this headache. Yeah, our fantasy team in the Pitcherless podcast network is losing people left decimated. and right. But, decimated. Decimated. Yeah, so <laughs> if you want to blame someone for your player getting hurt, there's a good chance that it's our fault. Yeah, but, it's our fault. Our bad. Yeah, yeah so let's let's just blitz through these. So Teoscar Hernandez, um, he got actually hurt last week, but he's on the 10-day IL with the oblique strain. Uh, timeline's four to six weeks. Hopefully he gets back in that time. Uh, like we mentioned, Alex Cobb got hurt, adductor strange. He looked fine. No change in velocity, but he just all of a sudden stopped pitching. Um, so hopefully it's not too bad. It's not yeah. going to change his impact him when he comes back. And at that game, because I was there, he was just cruising. He was pitching great. His velocity was pretty much the same and everything. There was nothing wrong. Yep. But mm -hmm. there was one play where he kind of jolted to first base in that direction, and he kind of grabbed his groin area and then came out shortly after. So it doesn't look too serious, but he did come out of the game, and he is on the IL, so hopefully he can come back fast. Yeah. Uh, fab darling of the week, Andrew Heaney, who just went lights out for the Dodgers, uh, got placed on the 10 day IL with left shoulder discomfort all of a sudden, which Brutal. was shocking to all of us. Yep. Um, Mike Truck got hit in the hand with a pitch. He's not on the IL. There's no structural damage, but he has missed uh, two games so far. Um, hopefully he's back, though. Uh, Altuve got placed on the 10 day IL. We, we didn't know if he was going to, but he did get placed on the IL with a left hamstring strain. They were optimistic initially, but um, now he's now he's there for the next 10 days. Um, Lucas Giolito is looking to return on Sunday, pitch against the Twins. He did play in a simulated game along with AJ Pollock, uh, who also is looking to come back from the the Tendale at the end of this weekend. So hopefully the White Sox get a few reinforcements, um, and hopefully Giolito looks back to his form that he was showing in spring training because he was awesome. Another guy in our podcast league. Hope yeah, we, exactly. Hope we yeah. get good use out of him. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Presley uh, is should be back from the alley. He's he's eligible to be activated on Sunday. The Astros said that he's looking really good. Um, his velocity was down in spring, which everyone was watching, and it was still down when the season started. Uh, but apparently, he does just he just starts slow. So hopefully, um, when he comes back uh, from this injury, maybe he'll be back to his normal self. But we'll see. The Astros did just give him a big contract, so maybe they believe in him. And if you picked up Neris, if you're in a save and hold league, keep Neris. He's going to pitch in high leverage situations and probably set up for Presley regularly. And yep. if Presley's velocity stays down and he gets hurt again, Neris is probably the closer. So if you picked up Neris, you could drop him in a saves-only league, but keep an eye out on him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we got a couple Reds, Jonathan India and Mike Moustakas, both on the 10-day IL. Uh, 
India with a strained right hamstring. Moustakis is with a right bicep strain. Um, hopefully they'll be back soon. Uh, Fernando Tatis did light baseball activities. Um, he fielded grounders. There was a hilarious gif of him tripping on a soccer ball where oh my God. All everyone who rostered Tatis was like, oh no, what just happened? But he, he laughed it off. He laughed it off. I don't even roster Tatis, and I'm looking at that tweet, and I'm like, what are you doing, dude? I you're know. like the face of baseball, and, <laughs> and you're playing soccer in the outfield and tripping and landing on your wrist. What are you doing? Yeah. It's it was, cringeworthy. Oh, my God. It, it, was, it was a dicey moment, but at least he's not getting on any motorcycles as far as we know. Thank God. Yes. Um, Byron Buxton uh, – scared everyone when he slid into second and then immediately slapped the ground and we were just like oh no did he tear his acl no structural damage mri said it was clean he has missed five games but um he's not on the il the twins are expecting him to come back soon at the end of this week most likely um there's been some talk about maybe he just dhs for a couple games just so that he's not running out in the field and, and doing stuff but you know well, let's see how that goes. And we know he's great defensively, too. He's an amazing defender, but... Uh, he's a gold glover. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, It's but it's better to have him in the lineup and not getting hurt as DH than not having Buxton at all. So, yep, you got to take Completely care of him. agree. Yeah. A uh, couple minor league news. Uh, Huascar Noah and Sean Newcomb, both of Atlanta, got option to AAA. You know, uh, on our team, I yep. I love you know, uh, but he's, he's going to work on his craft for a little bit. Just a little um, bit. Yep, and then Owen Miller, who was also a fab darling, um, got COVID. He's placed on the COVID IL for now for for the Guardians. Um, and then Ronald Cunha Jr. Uh, actually went on a rehab assignment. Uh, went one for three with a double. Um, and I think he notably batted against Mike Clevenger, who also might be looking to come back soon. So, yeah, both of them looking to come back soon, which is awesome. Yeah, definitely good news for anybody who drafted Acuna. And also, just on Hoskar and Noah and Sean Newcomb, if you roster either of them, Feel free to drop them. Keep an eye on Enoa because he's got a lot of upside, but you could probably cut bait on both of them. Yeah, completely agree. But getting into the notable performances from this past weekend, which was Friday the 15th to Sunday the 17th, Shohei Otani of the Angels, of course, went two for three with two home runs, two runs, and three RBIs on Friday, followed by a two for five, one homer, one steal, three runs, three RBI performance on Saturday. He's proving that his hitting stats last year were no fluke, and he's worthy of a first-round pick. He started off a little slow. He gave CPR to his bat. If you saw that on Twitter, he <laughs> yeah. did, a little, did a little bit of CPR. That was and great. Now he's heating up. So Otani, definitely good, who you have in your auction home league, which is awesome. Hopefully he continues to be good for you. Yeah. I'm actually against him this week, so hopefully he has just a bad week. And <laughs> Nolan Arenado, he went two for three with a home run, two runs, three RBIs, and two walks on Friday. He's someone that I personally had as a bust, but he's come out on fire, proving everyone wrong, smacking the ball everywhere, leading the Cardinals team to victory. He's been crushing. So I've mm -hmm. been wrong about him so far. Nolan Arenado is on my fantasy on my fantasy dynasty team, and I just love it. It's it's great. And by the way, I just to point out, he was a bust for me this year, but I am a huge Nolan Arenado fan. I have an Arenado jersey. I've collected Arenado cards. I love Nolan Arenado, but this year I didn't want any part of him in fantasy, and man, do I look stupid. <laughs> but on the pitching side of things, thanks to the SP Roundup articles posted daily by Nick Pollock on Pitcher List, so make sure you check out those. The SP Roundups are phenomenal, and he also does Twitch streams recapping them as well. But Andrew Heaney, as we said, fab darling of the Dodgers, He's on the IL now, but on Sunday he went six innings, no earned runs, one hit, three walks, and 11 strikeouts. 
16 whiffs, a 37% CSW, and 89 pitches against the Reds. He's got this new slider that almost looks like a slurve, and it is nasty. He had 14 out of 39 whiffs and 46% CSW on the slider alone in this game. So hopefully he can come off of the IL quickly and just continue to dominate because he looks awesome. I know I picked him up everywhere. He looks great. And Nestor Cortez for the Yankees, five innings pitch, zero earned ones, three hits, one walk, 12 Ks, 15 whiffs, 39% CSW, 88 pitches against the Orioles on Sunday. He had an immaculate inning, which is just incredible because you don't see that very often, especially from a starter. He doesn't have overpowering stuff too, but his deception combined with a deep arsenal is just a filthy combination. So he keeps hitters guessing and he looks crazy good right now. Yeah, I, I, and I think part of it is because he's allowed to have that mustache on the Yankees. Yes, exactly. A hundred percent. I think if he didn't have that mustache, he wouldn't be anywhere near as good. Yeah. All joking <laughs> aside, Nestor Cortez, I picked him up in fab. I, I, there's no reason to, to not keep starting him for now. I think oh, he looks yeah. great. There's no red flags. He's looking great. He was doing great last year, and he's just continuing where he left off. Yep. And then lastly, Bailey Ober of the Twins. Six innings pitched, zero earned runs, four hits, one walk, three Ks, 11 whiffs, 29% CSW, 70 pitches against the Red Sox on Sunday. He's a good streaming option for the time being, not someone I'm looking to break the bank on and roster fully, but if he has a good matchup, I like Bailey Ober a lot. Yep, I think that's all you need to say about him. You don't need to keep him on your team, but if he has a good matchup, go for it. Yeah. Yeah, moving on to some performances on Monday. Uh, great pun, by the way, from Mark Stubinger on the Batter's Box article, I Fam Legend, Yep. Uh, for Tommy Fam. But um, we're actually not going to talk about him. We're going to talk about some other guys. Uh, Jordan Alvarez going three for five with two homers, three runs, four RBIs. Um, he now has a slash line at 263, 364, and 789. Um that's kind of funny. He's, he's slugging 79. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it works perfectly. But yeah, there, this is why you drafted him in, in the second or the third round. He's he's all around all-star. Um, and he's, he's doing great. Uh, Christian Yelich, who we talked about a little bit last week, um, two for three with, with a double home run, walk, and four RBIs. Um, he's also doing pretty well, slashing two for two, three, nine, five, four, five, five through his first 43 plate appearances. His striker rate is up. That was one of the things we talked about last week where it's like, ah, we don't really love seeing this. Yep. Um, but his ground ball rate is down a little bit. It's at 50% now, which is still pretty high, but it's actually his second lowest of the the years that he's been in Milwaukee so far. Obviously, small sample size, um, but he's healthy and he's producing. It's kind of what you want to see. Yep. Um, Manny Machado is going three for four with a double home run, two runs, two RBIs. Um, and then on the next day of the 19th, he also went two for four with a home run and two RBIs. Just top three third baseman performance. It's what yep. you want to see out of Machado. Um, he's got to yep. carry that Padres offense with Tatis being out. So he's doing yeah. just that. Yep. And I, you know, I think the Padres are kind of doing okay for now. Oh yeah. They're doing fine. Yeah. Uh, Shamanaya went six innings, one and run, six hits, two walks, six Ks. Um, got 15 whiffs, 78 pitches against the Reds for a 32% CSW. It's his third straight quality start. Um, I've got Shamanaya in two of my teams, and I'm just loving this. Same, it's great. Same, same, same. I wanted him everywhere. I love Shamanaya, and right now he's proving to be a quality start darling. So give me more mm-hmm. of Manaya. Right, yeah. His, his velocity isn't where we saw it last year, um, but his breaking stuff is still so, so good. Yep. Um, and so I think Manai is definitely one of those sneaky, really good guys uh, that just isn't talked about a lot. On the other side, a guy who is talked about a lot, though, Shane McClanahan, six innings, one and run, four hits, zero walks, nine Ks, 
Um, only 13 whiffs with 39% CSW um, and 80 pitches against the Cubs. Honestly, the fact that he went six is just great. Phenomenal. The Rays are, yeah, that's what yeah, you want to The Rays to are letting him doing it. Yep. And then, yeah, he actually figured it out that he should probably stop throwing that fastball that gets destroyed. <laughs> yep. Um, only threw it 28% of the time, which is awesome. I think that's what you want to see. Uh, his secondary stuff, though, is just, oh, it's so gross. Yeah. I love watch. I've loved watching him pitch. It's so much fun. When you watch him pitch, he really, truly does look like an ace. Like, he looks like he's going to be dominant. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if maybe he figures out the fastball, right? Maybe maybe it's something he works on in the offseason, and it becomes like a pitch that he can rely on, like, you know, maybe even 40% of the time, and it just doesn't get destroyed. And I think that would be so awesome. Because I feel like he has him. an awesome fastball, too. It just gets hit really hard. Yeah, it's so – I don't get it, but good things for, so far for Shane Mack. Yeah, oh, oh, definitely, definitely. Moving yeah. on to April 19th, which was Tuesday. Thanks to the Batters Box article, Francophile, by Jim Chatterton for some of these stats. C.J. Crone of the Rockies is off to an unbelievable start. He's making the Rockies not look like a joke of a franchise, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But he went one for two with a homer and four RBIs. He leads the majors in home runs with six. He also has 15 RBIs. I've named him Siege Siege. Now, it might not make sense to you, but his full name is Christopher John Crone Jr. So that makes him CJ CJ. So I call him Siege Siege. That's just the nickname is- I gave him when I wrote articles. That's a mouthful. Mouthful. <laughs> That's why I call him Siege Siege. He's got too big of a name. Siege Siege is looking like one of the best value first basemen that you could have drafted this season because he is off to an unbelievable start with Chris Bryant batting in front of him he gets on base a lot his counting stats are going to rack up I like Crone a lot this year if you can maybe buy high on him I would recommend it if you have maybe Joey Votto as your starting first baseman CJ Crone could be someone that you might want to target Mm. Salvador Perez of the Royals went two for three with two home runs two runs two RBIs and a walk every time that anybody mentions Perez's eye issue that causes a blurred vision so to speak which he's dealt with for the last few seasons now. He tends to hit a home run the next day, and that's exactly what he did. He's by far the best fantasy catcher, but you did have to pay a pretty hefty price for him to acquire him in your drafts. But it seems to be paying off early because he is a beast. Yeah, the, the funniest thing about Sal Perez is I have him on a couple fantasy teams. He, he was listed as day-to-day. I just like started freaking out like, <laughs> oh no, is he hurt? No, it's his eye issue, and he goes and hits two homers against the Twins. Yep. Like what the heck like oh my goodness Salvarez is so much fun i love him to death uh there's a reason why i i love drafting him yeah and whenever you see like i said that day-to-day stamp on salvador perez and it says he's battling an eye issue put him in your lineups with no questions asked because he's going to hit a homer so just put him in he deserves to be started every day no matter what unless he's injured of course but crossing the fingers for good health Tommy Edmond of the Cardinals, someone I love, two for four with a triple and two RBIs. He had a triple into the gap, which made Albert Pujols hustle all the way from first to score. If you (laughs) saw the videos, it was so funny to watch Pujols chugging around the bases. He looked like a car that just couldn't start up properly. It was really funny. And even after he crossed home plate, he looked into his dugout and was like, thank God that's over. Like, I can't believe he sent me. It was funny. But... Edmund's been batting 6th or ninth predominantly and is still putting up great numbers in those spots. But if he starts to hit in the leadoff position, which he did on Wednesday, and he actually stole a base on Wednesday as well, which is awesome to see, mm-hmm. he could put up insane numbers, insane run totals with Goldschmidt, Arenado, O'Neal, Carlson in that lineup. He could really give big fantasy returns. And I know someone like Philip DeSalt, who 
He was really, really high on Edmund. He said he was going to have a, a better season than Starling Marte of the Mets. So that's a pretty big shoes to fill there. But Tommy Edmund, someone I'm very high on. If you roster him, make sure that you put him in your lineups. No questions asked. And then someone who's not rostered as much, Eugenio Suarez of the Mariners. He went one for four with a homer, a run, and three RBIs. He had a three-run homer off of John Gray, who returned from a blister issue. He's been heating up as of recent, and home runs come in bunches. So if you need someone to fill in at third base or shortstop, he has those eligibilities on Yahoo. And like I said, he's 64% rostered. So grab him while he's hot. If he struggles, you can just cut bait. He does still struggle with a bad strikeout percentage, but when he's hot, he hits home runs in bunches. So Suarez is a name to look out for, for sure. Yeah, and I think just going back to Tommy Edmond, our friends over at the Dugout Study Hall podcast, also a member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network, um, they weren't talking about Edmond specifically. They were, they were talking about O'Neal and just how it's frustrating that Dylan Carson's hitting leadoff um, and how that's hurting O'Neal's stats. But it's kind of the same story with Edmond. I just wish they would bat him higher. Because yeah. he has so much potential, um, and you drafted him for his speed, and it's just like, well, now he, you know, now he's batting sixth or he's ninth. He doesn't get that extra opportunity to, to get on base. It's just frustrating to watch. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Edmund has a lot of potential. You drafted him for the steals. He actually has three home runs right now in one steal. So he's yeah, it's he's incredible. A lot more power, yeah. <laughs> but I think Edmund can be very, very good. And if he moves up in the order, he's going to be awesome for fantasy. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the pitchers, Max Freed doing what we wanted Max Freed to do. Seven innings pitched, zero earned runs, two hits, no walks, eight Ks against the Dodgers. He had 13 whiffs, a 30% CSW, and 93 pitches total. Great bounce back start for him. We were kind of worried about him after his first two starts, but his velocity was up, sitting 95 miles per hour on his fastball, and all of his secondaries were effective. He looked like the ace that you drafted him to be, so phenomenal out of Max Freed. Another Max, to speak of, Max Scherzer of the Mets. Like I said, I was at this game. His first City Field start being a Met. Seven innings pitched, one earned run, one hit, three walks, 10 strikeouts, 15 whiffs, 34% CSW, 102 pitches against the Giants. He had a no-hitter through 5.2 innings pitching. I was sipping the Kool-Aid at City Field. I was like, oh boy, I want to see my first no-hitter. Come on, boy. Oh, yeah. But his pitch count was... Way too high. I was kind of happy he gave up the hit just because I didn't want him to pitch 150 pitches and go for that no-hitter because imagine Buck Showalter trying to take Scherzer out of that game. He would have cursed him off. Do not see good things for Buck in that situation, so I'm glad he got pulled. But his velocity was a little bit down. He was sitting at 93. I would just ignore it. It was freezing at City Field. His opponent, Logan Webb, who went 3.2 when he's pitched three earned runs, six hits, three walks, 1K, 21% CSW. He also had a lower fastball velocity in this one, so I'm going to just chalk it up to cold weather for Webb, Scherzer, McGill. Anyone in those two starts that suffered a lower velocity, it was just cold. They said it was hard to grip the ball in the postgame interview, so I'm going to chalk it up to that. Jesus Lazardo of the Marlins. 4.1 innings pitch, four earned runs, seven hits, two walks, three Ks, nine whiffs, 26% CSW with 88 pitches against the Cardinals. This was more of a not so great performance. He just got lit up against the Cardinals. He used the curveball approach still, but the veteran yep. Cardinals lineup sat on it and just decimated him. So still hold on to Lazardo in your fantasy leagues. Don't panic. He just had one bad start against a really good offense. It's it's interesting because he 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 stuck with the curveball even though it was getting destroyed. Yeah, I think he got like two whiffs on it or something crazy like that. Like it just wasn't working. His stuff wasn't working, and the reality is 
it's not going to be like this for his other starts. No, so. no, he's got a hard matchup coming up, but I think that Lazardo is someone that you just got to hold on to. You got to take the good and the bad. Nick might label him as a cherry bomb, but Lazardo, I think, has still amazing upside. And then on the closer side of things, Josh Stelmont of the Royals, he got his second save of the season. He got one on the 16th and on the 19th. Both times, Scott Barlow pitched the 8th and Stalmont in the ninth in a save situation. So pick up Stalmont if you're in need of saves. It seems like he's the guy. Barlow, I'd probably try to hold on to, but if you're in just a saves league, you got to grab Stalmont. It looks like he's the guy. So if you need a closer, go and grab Josh Stalmont. Yeah, completely agree. I think Barlow, it's frustrating for me because I have him in the saves only league. I'm just waiting for him to to be the guy, but uh, Stalmont's still looking really good. Yeah, he looks really uh, good. Yeah, and then you go into some performances on Wednesday. Um, in the first game of a doubleheader, the Guardians lit up Dallas Keuchel for 10 hits. Uh, he was just getting singled to death, basically. Uh, but Jose Ramirez did hit another Grand Slam off him. He hit one last week. Not against Keuchel, but he, he hit a Grand Slam last week. So, um, yeah, Jose Ramirez just just doing Jose Ramirez things. Um, yeah, he's up to, to 20 RBIs this season. It's unbelievable. Jose Ramirez yeah. is insane. I, I don't get it. This guy's like Babe Ruth reincarnated. What are you doing? Probably should have drafted Jose Ramirez first in the in the Pitcherless Podcast League, but um, hopefully Trey Turner ends up doing better. Yeah, I think we'll Turner see. will rebound nice, but Jose Ramirez, whew, he is good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Johan Carmargo, who you probably have never heard of, um, <laughs> he was actually replacing Didi Gregorius, who's, who was out for the game. Uh, but took full advantage of the opportunity to show up. Um, went four for five with a homer and three RBIs. Three of those hits were hard hit balls, too, with his homer topping out at 104.8 miles per hour. I'm not saying go out and grab Johan Carmargo, but if Didi is hurt, it looks like the Phillies have someone to replace him who is not going to really um, be terrible. So, yeah. looks good. Uh, Freddie Freeman went three for four with a homer, two RBIs. Um, he'd been playing okay, but the power just wasn't there for the entire season. And then all of a sudden, oh, he faces Atlanta, and he hits two homers in the series. <laughs> yep. um, there's something about having revenge that that just probably feels really good for him. Oh, yeah, big time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then Jerickson Profar uh, went two for four with a homer, one stolen base as well, which is nice. Two runs, two RBIs. Um, he does have first, second, and outfield eligibility. So definitely kind of one of those uh, Swiss Army knives that you can kind of plug in anywhere. He's currently 46% rostered in Yahoo. He's a good utility bat, good to slot in in your middle infielder or corner infield spot. And then going on to pitchers, um, I'm not going to say it's the return of Shane Bieber. He did go six innings, though, one in run, four hits, seven Ks. Uh, velocity still wasn't there, though, and I think that's just been the thing that people have been talking about with yep. Bieber is just that he's been two to three ticks lower than he's been last year. Um, and he kind of took that to heart, actually. He ended up throwing more sliders versus his fastball this time. Um, and it was working for him. He got 10 whips and 39% CSW on that pitch. So maybe it's a pitch mix change for Bieber now instead of trying to get that velocity back that's going to help him become uh, that elite ace again. Yeah, I'm very worried about Bieber. I'm someone who didn't draft much of him and I don't have much stock of him, but I know people that do roster him and can trade him away possibly. And I, I said, maybe you should because the fastball velocity is just not there. I'm kind of worried about it. But if he does change that pitch mix a little bit and focuses throwing more sliders if he can get the spin rates back up to where they were before the the sticky substance ban he could be pretty good again but that fastball is still alarming yeah and then two weeks ago we talked to uh, daniel port right about optimal location ratios and i know he's been tweeting a lot about bieber because obviously he's a he's a guardians fan 
Um, but it might it might end up kind of like what he was talking about. It might be a location thing for for Bieber on his fastball. You know, if it's not blowing past people anymore, obviously it wasn't even blowing past people at like ninety two, ninety three. Right. <laughs> but with the velocity with velocity lower, you know, that kind of just means like he has to command it better and locate it better. So maybe that's work. That's what ends up working for Bieber is just kind of just becoming a better locator, look, command guy on his fastball. Yeah. Um, and then we had Mitch Keller for the Pirates. Uh, went five point one innings, one earned run, seven strikeouts. Um, he threw the fastball almost seventy percent of the time, which is kind of insane. Um, got eleven called strikes on it, which is twenty percent of a called strike rate, which is nice. Um, he is averaging ninety six miles an hour on the fastball, so all that news about you know him upping his velocity in the offseason looks like it's actually coming coming through. Um, he he had his max velo at ninety eight point eight miles per hour today. It's not the hundred that we were seeing that he was throwing in, in the offseason on that like one incredible uh, video that everyone saw on Twitter. Yep. Um, but the velocity is there, and I think it's there to stay. And then Brandon Woodruff for the Brewers uh, went six innings, zero in runs, one hit, nine strikeouts, um, over ninety five pitches. Um, all you basically any of that you know sky is falling talk about Brandon, <laughs> yeah. Brandon Woodruff after his first start. You can completely ignore that. His pitch mix has been pretty consistent. Um, it's just high CSWs across the board. This guy is amazing. 37% overall CSW, 18 whiffs, um, including nine just from the fastball. So I think Brandon Woodruff, definitely, he's that top five, top three ace uh, we're all expecting him to be. Yeah, I love Woodruff. I had him last year and pretty much anticipated the big breakout, the possible Cy Young achievement. But Woodruff is someone... I absolutely love. I think he's going to be absolutely fine. I was not worried about the previous two. A lot of people were, of course, and rightfully so. Whenever someone has two bad performances in a row, and mm -hmm. you get worried. But Woodruff is someone that just keep riding him out. He is a top ten pitcher easily. Yeah, I, it's it's so much fun to watch him watch him play as well. So he's nasty. He's nasty. Mm -hmm. The Brewers pitching staff is nasty, and Freddie Peralta hopefully will work out his issues as well. Yeah, and then one final performance to talk about is Shohei Otani. He went six innings with one hit, one walk, 12 strikeouts. He was perfect through 5.1 innings until Jason Castro hit a line drive to center to break up the perfect game. Uh, but one of the better starts we've seen from Otani in his career. Um, he was also, interestingly enough, the first pitcher to bat twice uh, before throwing a pitch as the Angels went through the entire order in the first inning, knocking out Jake Odorizzi. And then a couple of performances from Thursday. Sean Murphy went through for four with a two and homer uh, and three total RBIs. Um, it's his third homer of the season, and that's good enough for a second, actually, among all catchers. Uh, he leads all catchers with 11 RBIs as well. He might be still available in your leagues. He only has 65% roster ship on Yahoo. Uh, so if you're looking for some catcher help, maybe check out Sean Murphy. Um, and then pitching-wise, Pablo Lopez went seven innings. Um, seven shutout innings uh, with nine strikeouts, three hits. Um, he started the season with a .52 ERA and a .75 whip in three starts, um, and he got 15 total whips in today's start. So definitely looking good for Pablo. Um, and he even got the win, which is kind of rare for Marlins pitchers, as those who roster Sandy Alcantara um, know O2 painfully this week. Um, and then Paul Blackburn, who some of you might have picked up for a stream, went five innings, one and in run, four Ks, no walks, uh, and got the win. So ultimate a pretty good stream if you're in a wins league um walks have generally been an issue with blackburn for the season for his career uh so it's good to see the low uh strike out to walk ratio that he's been dealing um this season so good for blackburn um he doesn't have great matchups coming up he does face the giants and the rays uh but he does have a start coming up against detroit in a couple weeks so maybe look out to pick up blackburn again uh when that start comes around 
But now we will take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by pitcherless writer Jake Mesh to go over his upcoming article on players' performance during the first year of a new contract. Stay tuned. All right. Uh, now we're back with pitcherless writer Jake Mesh. Uh, Jake, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. Awesome. Good to hear. Uh, we're going to be talking about your article that's upcoming, uh, just talking about some player performances during the first year of their new contract. But before we get into that, introduce yourself to the pod, kind of tell people maybe your baseball history, what do you do for pitcher list, things like that. For sure. All right. Um, so as far as baseball history goes, uh, I hated t-ball, which would surprise anyone that knows me. But I first started loving baseball when the White Sox won the World Series in 05. Uh, I had no idea what was happening, but my grandfather and dad were both losing their minds, and I figured it was pretty fun. So I got a Jim Tomey baseball card, and the rest was history. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, since then, just uh, been an absolute fan. This is, I guess, the first, uh, t- this offseason, the first time that I've started, like, really analyzing it from, like, a writer's perspective and getting into the the writing and uh, and more, like, more high stakes, more well-known kind of fantasy leagues instead of like the, um, you know, the the home leagues, the Yahoo leagues, ESPN and whatnot, which of course are fun on, on their own, but now the I get a little sweatier when making my um, my waiver and fab. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so a little, little more serious now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now I'm like, man, I guess I actually have to prove that uh my own my own i guess opinion that i'm not too bad at this uh <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah definitely kind of understand that just with um starting this podcast and then realizing like oh wait now i have to be good at this <laughs> yes so i guess just to start off um kind of one of the big examples i think you pull from your articles is francisco lindor <laughs> last year um who i had a firsthand experience of dealing with his his struggles on my fantasy team um lee obviously as a mets fan you yep. had to experience that in a much more real way than oh I did. yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah so basically the francisco lindor effect is, is when a player signs a large contract playing in a significantly larger market um so all these kind of free agents who you looked at um how many of them were in similar situations as lindor and ultimately how did their performances change in the first year of their new contracts so i went back and looked at so what we did is we took all of the contracts since uh the off to 2013 offseason uh 2013 2014 and you know i got their preseason war projection uh from zips and then uh compared that to how they actually performed in their first season and um so i went back and looked from all of that data which i kind of talk about generally in the article but i looked at specifically uh like francisco lindor those that kind of went to the big markets uh, which I loosely identified as New York, Los Angeles, Boston, Chicago, San Francisco, Houston, and Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I looked at those t- players who went to those teams, uh, excluded players who went to those teams from big market teams, because um, I figured that wasn't enough of a, I guess, a culture shock. Uh, right. But I looked at those players in those situations. There were 53 of them uh, since since uh, 2014 being their first season. And... Just did a quick, like, honestly, a pretty quick and rough analysis just looking at the preseason projected war and the actual war. Um, but what we did in the article was we brought it down to a per-game basis to kind of account for 2020. Uh, it also accounts for injuries, um, which obviously should always be taken into consideration. But So in this instance, I just kind of took 
all of the projected war without breaking it down any more than that uh, compared to the output. And so the average projected war for these players was 2.1. And then the average return was actually 1.7, which mm. is interesting because it's lower than what we found for the rest of the players. Uh, for the rest of the players, we found that in general, they pretty much stick to projections. Uh, now, I mean, 1.7 isn't too far off from 1.1, but uh, it is lower. And for the rest of the player pool, we see that in, in general, players overperform. So there actually, there could be something to the the fact that you're going to a bigger market. It also could be that bigger market teams overspend. Uh, that's certainly possible. I think we've seen, mm-hmm. like, especially from the from the Yankees, that you just kind of you go get the guys uh, and spend the money, and you know who knows? Maybe that, is that the best way to do it? I don't know. But um, so what we've seen is that uh, it's pretty close. Um, but there is a slight underperformance for those players who go to the big markets um, from non-big markets, which is which is really interesting. Right. So you were looking at war and seeing how they perform post that contract. And how did that analysis match or challenge what you initially thought? So initially, so I was, I think I was originally thinking that there'd be a bit more volatility. Um, I think it's when you're looking at projections, it's really easy to be like, oh, like, I love this guy. He's obviously going to do better than that. Or, oh, yeah. this guy's like, there's no way he's, you know, going to get that. He's going to be that productive. But, like, in general, projections are pretty good. Like, they, mm. they do what they're supposed to do. And what we saw overall was that uh, players tend to perform at or near their projections. And, like I said, it's more common to outperform them. Um, but what, what I thought was going to happen was just there to be a bit more variance. I thought, uh, I thought if anything, players would uh, slightly underperform, maybe not to extent that um, that like there's an assumption for like I think I've heard a pretty fair amount to just like avoid these players because like there's just too much risk right. Um, right. so I figured well that's really fascinating I want to see like if there's anything to back that up um, but I, I honestly I did not expect it to be overall positive so yeah so that was interesting to see kind of just how well some players performed um, and if, like a couple like a couple examples that I honestly wouldn't have thought of like there was a lot of attention around like Bryce Harper and JT Real Muto being brought in, mm-hmm. uh, in for 2019. And like, I didn't think that they actually did that well, but they both, um, performed well. I mean, compared to projections, Bryce Harper was projected for a 4.7 war finished with a 4.5, which I mean, like for Bryce Harper, you know, I, I think he'd like more. And that's what I think a lot of fans expected, but right. So, you know, pretty on par. Uh, Real Muto was a preseason 3.9 and ended up at a 5.7. So, I mean, that's a pair hmm. of guys going wow, to Philadelphia yeah. who, like, did really well. And so I think that you have the guys that will kind of quietly outperform. Uh, maybe they don't outperform compared to what the fans think should happen or, or what I think should happen or fantasy analysts, anyone, you know. Um, but overall, they're still a solid player. And so I think it's good to kind of take a look at, like, what was actually supposed to happen. It's crazy because I remember when Harper signed with the Phillies and I was like, man, he's really not doing well this year. Like, I just remember that he didn't do too well. Like it just, for some reason stood out, like he wasn't amazing. And then the next year he wins the MVP. So like, it's, it's pretty crazy how in that first year you have that perception that they're just not as good as what they're supposed to be. Cause there's just so much expectations. Exactly. We, I mean, it was funny with Bryce Harper. Uh, I drafted him. I, so I drafted him last year. Uh, for like my main team and I remember thinking that I was so smart because not only did I draft him and I got the return but I traded him away 
like two months oh, into the sure. season because I was like, oh, I'm, I'm selling high. I'm selling so high. Like, Bryce <laughs> right. are, yep. oh, he's good, but like, he's never going to return to what he, like, he's not an MVP again. Uh, then he just proved to be, you know, the MVP, of course. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, like, you get into these situations where you're like, okay, Bryce Harper was just signed to all this money. Like, he's, uh, he's just not that good anymore. He's not going to put the Babe Ruth season together again. But, like, apparently, you know, what actually happened was well, just about that, you know? Yeah, I, I can't remember who it is. I know um, Nick actually brings this up on the on the Corner podcast quite a bit. But there's someone who does projections. I don't know if it's Dan Zaborski or someone else where, um, you know, they're down on players the first year of their contract. Like, it's just kind of like that. Yep. That in it's something in our heads where we think like, oh, this guy switched markets or this guy signed a huge contract. He's not going to be as good as we think he's going yeah, to be. Yeah, avoid him at year. all costs kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I was I was kind of that way with Gaussman and and I think he's proven me wrong this season. About <laughs> so far, so far. Was gonna be. So far, yeah. Meanwhile, Robbie Ray is like fully proving everyone correct on this one. Yep. But, so kind of going back to that that conversation on Bryce Harper, you know, we've seen a lot of high-profile players, you know, Bryce Harper, for example. Um, Mike Trout, I don't know if he really counts because he just stayed with the Angels. But, um, you know, he signed, you know, these huge contracts, um, you know, these large, like, 10 to 13-year contracts, which, I mean, to me, is just insane. Um, but yeah, they're like worth over three hundred million. We have these rumors that Juan Soto is going to sign this four hundred million dollar contract in the future. Um, when when we look at these players who sign these really large contracts, right? We're talking like twenty five million a- annual average value. Um, what what's their track record in the first year? Yeah, so uh, so I went and looked at all of the three hundred million uh, dollar players specifically, mm-hmm. and. First off, I mean, there's only nine of them, which I say only, I mean, 300 million is a huge number. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It feels Big like, like now we're like, man, everyone's getting their 300 mil. Wow. I, I still remember when A-Rod got his 250 million one. And yeah. I was just like, why? And then now it's <laughs> now someone's getting 300. You're like, well, of course he deserves that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, so yeah, so it's uh, really easy to be like, oh, you get desensitized to it, you know, but like 300 million. That's a lot of money. Um, but so specifically looking at a couple guys, obviously you got Lindor, who uh, was like the big underperformer uh, with like the projected 5.6 war coming out with a 2.7, um, which I actually, that's another one of those situations where I think he may, might have performed slightly better than that. Uh, I, like my perception would have been uh, because he just had that horrible start. And that just dragged him down so much. But he wasn't horrible for the rest of the year. I mean, he, you know, got the rest of his numbers back up, obviously, after hitting under 200 for the first uh, two months. But, you know, again, I mean, that's half of the projection there. Um, and then we talked about Harper kind of getting right in line. Uh, Betts was another one who pretty much returned value. Uh, hmm. His year was 2020, of course, so he only played 55 games. But he racked up 2.9 war, which... If you kind of like extrapolate that and and look at it over the course of what might have been a full season, uh, it's pretty close to his six preseason projected war for obviously in normal seasons. So in general, you see some solid returns. Garrett Cole was another one who like vastly, I would say, overperformed. Uh, yeah. Going to Houston, I mean, like, or going to New York, sorry, after Houston, uh, which had fascinating trajectory. He's just kind of almost gotten better with every stop i guess until uh what we've seen so far this season who knows what's happening with him but uh right and that huge contract with uh with new york he was projected for 
a 3.4. Obviously, again, it was 2020, but uh, if you take that like actual number and again extrapolate it, it was he was probably due for uh, somewhere near a six over the course of a full season. So, wow. uh, so yeah, so you've got the success stories, obviously. Yep. Um, a few others that I don't have data for, like uh, Giancarlo Stanton, Manny Machado. Uh, Prout, like you said, kind of doesn't have that change of. It was just an extension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in general, these three hundred million dollar guys, like, you would hope that they would perform, continue performing if they're getting that much money. And like, in general, I, they do. Um, and that's what we saw in the article in general too. Was the the guys that signed the biggest contracts in general perform the best? Um, which again, you get someone like Lindor who really like tanks, uh, especially in a city like New York where there's just. Yeah. No forgiveness. There's no. Uh... Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, hey, this year he's he's definitely rebounding. And that's another thing I think that we mentioned in in prepping for this was like, how do guys bounce back? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that'd be super interesting to look at at some point as well. Um, like, how's Lindor going to do in his second season after the expectations going to be lower? Like, I think a lot of Mets friends are pretty soured, but um, you know, he hit his home runs against the Yankees last year. So, I mean, I guess that kind of saved him a little bit, but uh, how that kind of goes moving forward, of course. For me, Lindor, I kind of expected him to stink in his first year. And once again, he wasn't terrible, but he wasn't what he was paid value-wise to the team. But it's historically known that whenever a player signs with the Mets, whether it's Jason Bay, who stunk, or Carlos Beltran, Their first year is always miserable, miserable. But then they bounce back, and I was a big, big proprietor of Lindor is going to be good this year because I just knew how when players go to the Mets, their first year, it's just atrocious. It's so bad. But their second year, they really come to form and go back to what they were. And we're kind of seeing that from Lindor now. I I think it's interesting also just like, uh, obviously, like Lee, you're coming from the the perspective of you know, someone in a large market. Yep. Whereas like me in Minnesota, you know, I don't know if we're, we're, we're I'd call ourselves a medium market, but um, it, it's just that idea like, oh, we're contributing, you know, we're paying like hundreds of millions of dollars to a player, right? Like if he sucks, like we already have a small budget. Yep. How are we going to afford anyone else? I know right. like when we, when we signed Maurer to his like $180 million deal, I remember just thinking like, we don't have money to pay for anyone else, but I mean, obviously it's baseball. They, they make a ton of money. Um, <laughs> and I know with the, with the Korea contract that we assigned this year, it's like, okay, there's some flexibility there. I feel like I feel pretty good about it. So I think like perspective perspectives definitely change over, over time about like how much contracts are like actually worth and how they're like eating into your team's assumed salary, I guess. Which is crazy because for me with Steve Cohen as the owner, I really don't worry about much. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he could go out and buy the entire Subway franchise, and then not even bat an eyelash, and then and buy Juan Soto the next day for five hundred million dollars and not bat an eyelash. So I'm kind of jaded when it comes to oh, we gave Lindor a lot of money. Eh, who cares? <laughs> right. Yeah, Jake. How about you? Like, how do you feel about you know if the White Sox went out and say I don't know maybe they signed Luis Robert to like a huge contract? Like, how would you feel about that? Well, oh God, if they maybe if they locked him down for 300 million i'd have no problem with it whatsoever <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Come on. Uh, I, you you find someone else to you go moneyball i guess if you have to to get the team around him but you know mm-hmm. get him locked down that'd be great but um 
in general, I think that my expectations are um, beneath the floor with with Jerry Reinsdorf as the owner. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't know if I don't. I really want to know when I'll see a three hundred million dollar contract come out of the the Sox organization. It might not happen for another decade. Um, but one thing that I did see, so I was looking at uh, when I was going through and looking at uh, the the that or the players who went to large markets. I just was painfully reminded of so many of like the White Sox big guys that they kind of touted out and had the big press conferences for that, man, they just <laughs> did not pan out. Um, back when they were like mediocre and trying to like say that they were competing, but just finding the bargains in the bargains in the market before they did the full like tear down, man, it was rough. Like I, like Adam LaRoche was a big guy. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> like that one year where they got I mean, me Robertson and, and Jeff Samarja and they were like, this is the future. Uh, <laughs> it was bad. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, Adam LaRoche, great clubhouse guy, but not the dude you signed to the big contract. No, definitely right. not. Yeah. yeah. I also no, got that's... the PSD from Melky Cabrera who like, you forget that these guys were on your team because you just want to yep. like, wash it away. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. So oh, that's to bring it back to fantasy though, who are some low risk or high risk players that you have your eye on in fantasy leagues that people might be overvaluing or undervaluing because they signed a new contract? So I think someone that's undervalued, I think potentially because of the contract was Marcus Stroman. Uh, you know, he's not going to give you strikeouts, I guess that, that you might want, but his winning strike rate is actually not bad. He is, he was like really underrated. I think even last year when he like has ERA was like low threes and he goes to Chicago, and then it's like, all right, you know, like, he's playing at Wrigley. He's playing for a bad team. I think that was a big thing that everyone was pretty confused about. Like, why are the Cubs going out and spending right now? Yeah. Like, why did they bring in Marcus Stroman, who's one of the, like, the marquee pitchers, you know? So I, th I think that that might have affected his general outlook. I try to get him as much as I can, and it's honest, it's a little frustrating rostering him because, like, you know that you have to make up the strikeout somewhere else. But he's going to give you suit like just quality innings, and I think that he he's pretty much returned value no matter where you like if you've drafted him around ADP the last few years. So he's mm -hmm. the one that I keep going back to that seems to be undervalued, um, especially since you know after the signing with the Cubs, which is also pre-lockout, so he kind of got lost a little bit too. Um, after the lockout happens, everyone starts drafting, everyone gets caught up in the big names, and you kind of forget about the players who are uh, have already kind of set that up. And I think Marcus Stroman was one of them. Yeah, and I get to say my favorite thing, which I, I think I've mentioned it every time we've done an interview, but I don't know if it's actually made the show, but I actually got to compete against Marcus Stroman in high school, so that's pretty cool. But Marcus Stroman, he's such a talented dude, will give you a headache on Twitter, that's for sure, or block you if you say that he gives you a headache on Twitter, but <laughs> Stroman is definitely someone that is undervalued for sure, because... He was going really, really late in drafts, and he's a quality pitcher. He was great for the Mets last season. I'm glad we don't have him because I don't think if we signed him, we get Max Scherzer or Chris Bassett. But I'm thinking that he's going to do pretty well for the Cubs, and he's pretty undervalued in fantasy. And then also, is there anyone that you specifically targeted in fantasy due to the team that they signed with? I know for me, Chris Bryant, which is funny in your article, seeing the ADP discrepancy between where he was when he wasn't signed to when he signed with the Rockies is hilarious because he jumped up so many rounds. It's unbelievable. But I personally targeted Bryant in a lot of places after he signed with Colorado. What about you? Yeah, Bryant was definitely one of them. Um, and it was like, it, it almost felt like, man, like you're kind of going with the, 
with the crowd, so to speak. Um, but I think that's one of those situations where I don't mind paying the premium that everyone else is paying because, I mean, we, I mean, you have 81 games in Colorado. Like Chris Bryant, I think at this point is just playing to to play to pad his stats, maybe get that Hall of Fame vote. You know, um, I like I don't think you can go wrong with picking Chris Bryant anywhere outside of like the top 40 or 50. And I think he's going to return that. I mean, so far he's been he's been great. He's fun to watch. Um, so Chris Bryant was one that I definitely paid up for a few times. Um, and then who else? Let's see. Um, I loved uh, being, you know, being a White Sox fan and seeing what Carlos Rodon did last year. I oh yeah could not have been happier that the Giants went out and signed him for like north of 20 million. For ADs. sure. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Like for that, for that team specifically. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously him, like that doesn't negate the injury risk. Like he still has had like significant arm injuries. Yep. And he hasn't always like came back, come back from those like super clean initially. Um, but we saw what he could do last year. And I remember like when he was a, like one of the White Sox best prospects, it was like so exciting. And then he, like those injuries just caught up to him and it was really frustrating. And then now that he's really like broken out, he's got his money, like couldn't be happier for him. And yep. for him to go to the Giants, like talk about a team that we perceive brings out the best in the people that they bring in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so he, I think, you know, for him kind of going, I think he jumped up around, uh, like, around the top 100, inside the top 100 even uh, after he signed. And, like, that's another one that's like, yeah, I could see that. Like, you take on some injury risk, of course, but pitchers are pitchers and pitchers get hurt. So, like, you know, you, you have to balance that out somehow. But I think the upside there is is fantastic. Yeah, Rodon's stuff is absolutely nasty, and there's no questions asked that he's probably a top 10 pitcher if he stays healthy the whole season. But I think the thing that made me the most confident with Rodon is that the Giants gave him a two-year deal. If they just gave him a one-year deal, I'd be like, hmm, they're not really confident in his medical. But the fact that they gave him two made me think that they saw something that, hey, this guy might be healthy for the whole season, or we can condition him. So that gave me a lot of confidence. Yeah, that was great to see. And and pairing him with that, I mean, that makes you not even really mourn as if you're a Giants fan, the loss of Kevin Gosman, because you've got someone who's like just as dynamic, if not more. And then pairing with Logan Webb, who who just made his breakout, who I just absolutely love watching yep. pitch. Like both him and Rodone have just a fantastic like rhythm to them. They're just really entertaining and like I don't know. I just feel like I could vibe with certain pitchers just on like how they pitch and their delivery and whatnot. And like watching the the Giants front end is a treat every time. Yeah, I, I will say there's the caveat in Rodon's contract that I think if he doesn't get to 110 innings, he yep. doesn't get the he doesn't get the player option. But I mean, still, it's it's like they're still willing to sign him for two years. I think it's it's kind of the same feeling I had when like the Twins signed Buxton to the seven year hundred million deal, where you're like, wow, seven years hundred million for Buxton, who's like could be an MVP if he's healthy. Yep, like that's really cheap. But you realize there's all these escalators if he actually wins the MVP or things yeah. like that. So. It's interesting seeing these like more like team friendly deals that are coming out, but also like how players are like kind of like taking over for themselves and benefiting themselves with these player options too. Like we're seeing from like Carlos Correa, from from Carlos Rodon, like these, and like even like Jacob Degrom is going to be he has a player option for for this upcoming year. Um, it's kind of cool to see like players also kind of take back a little bit of the the onus on like, hey, I want to sign this big contract when I'm good and. Like, I I know I'm worth that money. Right. And to loop it back to Chris Bryant for a second, too. The reason why I was so excited that he signed with the Rockies is because he was someone in fantasy that his first year, rookie year, obviously dominated, had 40 home run upside. 
but he kind of fell off in the power department throughout the years. And when I looked at his StatCast numbers, when I looked at his baseball savant page, it was eerily similar to Nolan Arenado, someone who had very similar numbers to him StatCast-wise, and Nolan constantly put up 40 homers, 100 RBIs. So Brian has yet to hit a homer in cores, but I think there's a good season ahead of him because of his numbers and how similar it is to Arenado. That's an awesome comparison. Yeah, thinking about those two and their profiles, I mean, yeah, that's that's really and that's also like yeah, as someone who has a couple uh, Bryant shares, I really appreciate you pointing that out because that definitely makes me feel much better than I already did. Yeah, I mean, the the leagues that I have him in are mainly OBP leagues, and he's incredible in OBP. He's north mm-hmm. of a three sixty OBP. He's fantastic. He gets a lot of counting stats every day. Hasn't hit the homer yet, but I think they're going to come in bunches because, like I said, that profile is very very similar. If you look at Arenado in 2018 compared to Chris Bryant in 2021, it is very, very close on how, you know, their stat cast numbers are. Uh, so Jake, just thank, thanks again for taking some time to do this interview with us. Um, is there any way that people can reach you on Twitter or social media or kind of what maybe is upcoming next for you writing wise for Pitcher List? Yeah, for sure. Um, so on Twitter, uh, just at Jake Maish, M-A-I-S-H, uh, that's that's my Twitter. That's probably, that's the thing I, definitely social media I use the most now, um, especially, I think for, it, there's just such a fantastic fantasy community on there. Um, yeah, so definitely check that out. Um, and then also, so for PitcherList in general, uh, every Wednesday I do the newsletter, a uh, nice little like awesome. thing to kind of get started with, because I did, I just started with PitcherList. Uh, like probably about a month or two ago. So this, you know, gives me a good chance to kind of get involved and whatnot. So that's a ton of fun. Uh, not like seeing what everyone else is putting out and then also writing like a little blurb. So definitely subscribe to the Picture List newsletter. If you don't already, you'll get all of the uh, the, the stories every morning that kind of come right to you. You don't have to go looking for them. Uh, read some cool words from the team there. Um, so yeah, so doing that every Wednesday um, and then also looking to start uh, some kind of consistent articles, uh, maybe a um, like a recurring series, uh, looking at lineups a little bit uh, more. Obviously, it's kind of in the early stages here, so doing some some things with that. But uh, yeah, in general, I think just gonna look forward to the opportunity to write and just analyze baseball, watch baseball, uh, be a be a baseball guy through and through. <laughs> well, thank you, Jake, for joining us and allowing us to interview about your article, but. We must move on to the streamers for this upcoming week. We have three suggestions for you. They're not great. The streaming options are definitely not pretty. And we don't recommend any of these guys really. But if you absolutely need to stream somebody, check out these three options. We've got Tyler Alexander of Detroit. He's 2% rostered on Yahoo. He pitches on Sunday against the Rockies. He got pulled in his previous start versus the Yankees because of a high pitch count, but he did go 5.1 innings pitch with 4Ks against Boston, retiring 10 straight batters, so he's a decent option. Once again, not a bad matchup, but Tyler Alexander, 2% rostered. If you need a streamer, we recommend him. Chad Cool is another option. He pitches for the Rockies. He's also 2% rostered on Yahoo, and he pitches on Sunday as well. He's away from Coors Field, which is great. He's against Detroit, had a great start against the Phillies in cores, six innings pitch, four Ks, zero earned runs until he got pulled for a hip flexor injury. Assuming he goes the full length, this might end up being a good stream. So Chad Cool, put a pin on him. He might do well against Detroit. And then lastly, we recommend Michael Lorenzen, who is a new starting pitcher for the Angels. He was a reliever. Now he's a starter. 
20% rostered on Yahoo. He pitches on Monday versus the Guardians. He didn't look great against Houston, but obviously Houston is a great offense. But he pitched very well against Miami. I actually watched that start, and he looked great. His stuff is filthy. He's got a really good strikeout-to-walk ratio. Small sample size at the moment, but he's got a good ground ball rate as well. So my favorite option, if you want to stream anybody, is Michael Lorenzen of the Angels. John, do you have anything to add on any of these three guys? <laughs> like we said, it's this is kind of really scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Um, that, that Tyler Alexander-Chad Cool matchup will be very interesting because it's like both these offenses aren't great. They're playing in uh, the caverns of Comerica, and... It might just be a wash, uh, but you you know that's kind of what you're looking for a streamer, right? Just some guy who doesn't really hurt you. Um, and then Michael Lorenzen, um, obviously, just yeah, the great stuff like you mentioned. He had seven strikeouts against the Marlins, and I, I think if it works well against Cleveland, you know, if the Cleveland bats just are really cold that day, um, I, I think it could work out for him. Yeah, I think he's someone that you can comfortably stream in good matchups if he does well against the Guardians. The Guardians' offense has actually been insane. Well, mainly Jose Ramirez, but the Guardians have been pretty good. So this is a decent test. This is like, I would say, a middle-of-the-road offense. So if he performs well, he's someone that I would look to stream against the more poor offenses around the league. Yep, I agree. And, I mean, to be completely honest, like, his start against Houston, it wasn't like he got destroyed. He did give up four and runs. Yep. It was over four hits. Uh, one of them was a home or two. And um, he did walk a couple guys, so maybe the command wasn't completely there. Uh, but it wasn't like he got knocked out of the game in the first inning. He was still around for a little bit. Right, yeah. I, I think he's a pretty good option for this week. But once again, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. So if you absolutely need somebody to stream, try those three options. But try to avoid streaming. We don't recommend it this week. But those are all the streaming options for this week. John, where can people find us and our podcast on social media? Well, you can find us at This Week PL on Twitter uh, or send us your comments and questions at thisweekplpod at gmail.com. Feel free to send those comments. Maybe we'll talk about them on the podcast. Uh, you can also subscribe to the PitcherList podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcast. Uh, and please leave us a five-star review if you're enjoying the show. Uh, you can find me at the John K on Twitter. That's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. And you can follow Lee at Regicidal. R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. And you can also join us on the PitcherList Discord by joining PL+. Plus. It's a great time. It's how I was able to draft a lot of $1 pitchers that I think are not $1 pitchers. Um, and it's a great way to kind of meet people who love talking about baseball, love talking about fantasy baseball. Um, and just overall, it's just a great welcoming community. Yeah, PL Plus is a great resource. Take advantage of it. Sign up for it. It's incredible. Pitcher List across the board provides you such great content. It helps me win my leagues, and it will help you win yours. So sign up for Pitcher List Plus. Join the Discord. It's a great time. But with that being said, that is all for this week. We will be back next week recapping another week in fantasy baseball. We'll see you all in the next one. Later, everyone. Later, everyone.